Hello, welcome back to Where Are All My Friends, the greatest podcast in the entire world. I feel like every host says that. <laughs> every show, welcome back to the best show in the world ever. This week, we sit down with Deanna Chapman. This was fun for me because she is just as nerdy about podcasts as myself. And we had a really good conversation about not only her story, but kind of how to get into podcasting, some of the things that you learn, all the ins and outs of that. So I thought it would be really fun to share this conversation because not only is it a great story, it also provides a lot of insight and information for anybody that might be interested in getting into podcasting themselves. So if it's something you've ever thought about, you'll learn a lot in this one, which is awesome. And we're both happy to help. If you're interested in this one afterwards, hit us up, ask some questions. Uh, Outside of that, same thing I always say, I don't do any type of advertising and it's grown all because of you guys as the listeners. So the biggest favor that you can do for me is if you like this show, please tell a friend, recommend it to anybody that would be interested. If you want to go above and beyond, subscribe wherever you're listening and leave a review. Five stars on Apple Podcasts helps a ton, all that good stuff. It really, really does help. That says it all. Let's get into this episode. It's a good one. All right. Where are all my friends? Back for another, this time with Deanna Chapman. And I really like doing episodes where I kind of just get to know somebody because I feel like you get these great organic stories and responses out of people. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on. I always take the opportunity to talk about podcasts with anyone whenever I can. Yeah, what is that? That's such a funny thing, right? Like, I feel like as soon as you get into podcasting, all that has to be said is like podcast and you'll be like, yeah, I'll do an episode. Sure. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. And even when people are just sort of curious about podcasts, I feel like I'm going to be that person who's going to go way over the top on explaining what a podcast is for anyone who doesn't know. So it's one of those things where I recently moved from California to Colorado back in October of 2019. And I was staying with my cousins and my cousin was helping me with like my resume and stuff. It was before I really started to do some of the work I'm doing now. And he was like, I don't really know what's going on, but it sounds good. And I was very tempted to just like go on an all out ramble about podcasts, but I restrained myself because we were talking more about my resume. (laughs) So it's one of those things where anytime it comes up, I just want to tell everyone about podcasts. And thankfully now we're in a place where a lot more people know about podcasts. So it's just so fun to even get into some of the nerdier conversations about the business of podcasting. I subscribe to a lot of podcast newsletters as well as just working on podcasts. I just kind of follow all of the podcast stuff that I can without going crazy. Yeah. And I feel such a similar way, right? Like when you start, when you get your flow when you start recording, when you upload your first episodes, it's just so fun. And you realize that conversations about anything can so easily be had. And people that are interested in that subject can, I was going to say so easily find it. Search on podcasts could get better, but it can be found. (laughs) And Discovery is certainly something that a lot of people have been talking about lately because for you and I, we're technically independent podcasters. You know, we don't have these big major companies backing our podcasts or a place like The Ringer, for instance. They started out as a website. Bill Simmons already had a podcast when he was with ESPN. And then it just blew up on the podcasting front because they realized quickly how many people were enjoying audio content more than reading lengthy articles and things like that. And while I still love a good lengthy article, my pocket account right now currently has over 250 articles in it because I listen to so many podcasts that I just haven't had a ton of time to read articles. And plus some of that is because I host a Stephen King podcast called Chat Cemetery, where I have to read all of the Stephen King books, which are insanely long. Yeah. Well, no, that's a really cool thing you said there though, because I think I... I'm obsessed with education. I think it's really fun to learn new things and it blows my mind just how much information is available in any subject all over, almost to this overwhelming point now. And I love reading, but admittedly, I'm a semi-slow reader. 
And I think when podcasts really became big and really special and cool to me was realizing that on these drives, I was filling my time so productively because I was learning. I, would, I was able to search and find uh, guests and people, discussions, talking about things that were so relevant uh, to me and so current because you know it's almost real time. And I found myself thinking, I'm learning the same amount. Granted, there are yeah. some books that are just classics and staples and theories that you should know. But when you really stop and think about it, people consume and learn in different ways. And you really start to realize how powerful it is, uh, how much you can learn just by audio. I've even been seeing a lot of children's podcasts pop up now. And I think especially during this time of quarantine, you've seen a lot of coronavirus-based podcasts yeah. pop up just so people can stay informed on these things. And you have certain places like the New York Times, Vox Media, where they do daily episodes of a podcast and they're just sort of giving you all these sort of random news tidbits that you probably wouldn't have found on your own if you sort of just follow the same few websites or something. You know, I'm a total nerd and I use RSS feeds to Whoa. keep up with the websites that I want to keep up with. So a lot of that though is, you know, music, movies, and just in general pop culture news because that's what my other podcast, Welcome to Geekdom, focuses on, which you were on to talk about Gone in 60 Seconds. <laughs> and, you know, the episode might not be out just yet, but it will be out soon, I promise. Yeah. And you have just so many different things you can discuss on a podcast, too, and so many different people you can talk to, because I know you do a lot of your episodes in person, but yeah. we're doing this over Skype right now, so I could talk to someone who is in a totally different time zone than me, which more often than not is the case now that I am in the mountain time zone, which nobody else seems to be in. Yeah. So it's one of those things where you're at this advantage because of all the technology that we have on different ways you can get information. And I think podcasts are really just a fantastic way to do that. I could not agree more. And I was almost hard-headed in the fact of I really felt like it had to be in person because I like to kind of read off the mannerisms and have that back and forth. And then it was actually our mutual friend, Finn, who showed me how good they could be not in person. Like I started yeah. listening to his, which you edit. It sounds amazing. That was always a big thing that I didn't like was how kind of like rough and how much like a phone call they can sound like. So I'm listening to his and I'm like, this audio quality is great. The conversation is great. And it made me stop and think, like, if there's these interesting people and if there's conversations that can be had all over the world now, that's a beautiful thing. And that's really using this tool to its fullest. So I have a whole new wave of appreciation for the uh, satellite podcast as well. I think it's amazing. Uh, yeah, well, first, thank you for the compliment on Finn's podcast. And obviously doing this, you are going to get times where Skype just has a bad day yeah, <laughs> and yeah. doesn't give you the best audio quality. But what you and I are doing right now, for instance, is I'm recording locally on my end. You're recording on your end. I will send you my file when this is over and you'll have a much cleaner recording because we're not relying on Skype. And anytime people can do that. That is awesome. So when you get big companies like ESPN or some of these bigger journalism companies, you kind of wonder why they aren't just sending microphones to everyone because they have that sort of money to be doing that. They certainly have more money than you and I do to be podcasting and, you know, yeah. we make it work. So I almost get a little more frustrated with podcasts now than I did when I first started listening to them because now that I have edited I don't know, hundreds of podcasts at this point between the ones of my own that I've done and the podcasts that I'm working on now with other people. And it's just something where if the audio quality is too bad, I will literally just like turn off a podcast. I'm just Same. like, you guys have money and I don't understand why this is something that is happening because it'll literally sound like someone's on a phone call in a subway station or something. Yeah. And you're just like, what's going on here? But I think... You know, that's 
maybe one of the very few upsides to this quarantine right now is that a lot of people are going to figure out how to do things remotely. And hopefully that will allow them to be able to just have conversations with people that they wouldn't normally be able to have because they're waiting until this person can come into the office or something like that. And I think a lot of people are going to have an extra skill set coming out of this with with just how to use teams remotely and create media remotely in a way that is totally acceptable to most of the general public who aren't turning into audio snobs like myself. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. You said that thing about like sending out microphones, it blows my mind because I work with another podcast where there are a lot of uh, remote guests, things like that. And I think the thing that we run into is just getting other people to understand how to use technology, right? Like even yeah. if a company has a budget, I I've talked to people where they literally don't understand like, using Apple headphones with a microphone to get a cleaner yeah. signal than just like yelling into their computer. So I think that as much as we are obsessed with podcasting, there's still that little bit of a way for people to adapt and learn. And you're right. Like maybe, maybe this will force people to adapt a little bit more. And for all of us people that care about audio quality, let's hope that coronavirus uh, pushes people to get better at that. Let's get something good out of this. I think it's also going to allow some employers to realize that maybe not everyone needs to be in the office all the time. You know, you can send people out and you can do things remotely. They can stay at home. You know, I think after this, a lot of companies are going to be way more lenient on having people work from home, especially like when they start getting a cold or something yeah. like that. It's just like, do not bring anything yeah. to the office that nobody Truly. wants. I have one more question before we get deep into your story because you said it earlier yeah. and I'm so genuinely like curious on this is we were talking about podcast discovery. Where mm -hmm. do you, like how do you think that evolves, right? Because it has to get better. It has to, it feels behind, right? It really does. And I specifically do not use Apple Podcasts on my iPhone or anything because I found that some of the third-party apps like Overcast and Castro just offer a little more of a discovery aspect. Like mm. if you go into Overcast, which is the main app that I use, mm -hmm. you can go to, you know, this add, po add a podcast section and it'll have suggestions for you, most recommended podcasts, because in Overcast, you can hit a little favorite star button if you like an episode and it'll come up as a recommended podcast. Mm. And then he has, Marco Arment is the developer. He has sections for, you know, top comedy, top technology, top business. And this is all just on, you know, one page that you can scroll up and down. He even has collections for specific networks like Gimlet, Radiotopia, oh, wow. some of the big ones. And while a lot of it will be bigger podcasts, sometimes you just want to kind of browse around and see, you know, what podcasts are coming out right now. And with so many crowded categories, especially, you don't always see indie podcasts like yours or mine popping up on there. But back when I was doing a podcast for Modern Vinyl called Misaligned, it would pop up in the music section every now and then. And I was like, I don't know how this is happening, but it's pretty cool because then, you know, some more people might see it by chance. And there's just such a big problem with discovery because when you go into Apple Podcasts and you see like the new and noteworthy section, which I'm sure anyone who listens to podcasts on an iPhone has seen at least once, yeah. you know, you see a lot of shows from the big podcast networks. You'll probably see a lot of iHeartRadio shows and, you know, shows from Wondery and a bunch of these big networks that have funding behind them yeah. or even ESPN. They probably own the sports section. It's probably them and Bleacher Report and the Locked On Sports Network. So you just have these certain companies and networks that are always going to be at the top or, you know, you have to be someone like Joe Rogan who has been doing it for over a thousand episodes, <laughs> which yeah. is insane. And he's just built such an audience, but he also had a bit of an audience before. That's right. If I'm not mistaken. So starting from scratch and getting discovered is just 
so, so hard right now. And really, that kind of leaves you with the options of putting money into advertising. Because as far as I can tell, I have no idea how the Apple stuff works. Sometimes it seems like it works based on downloads, but for new and noteworthy, is it just downloads or is it just because, you know, they kind of see a lot of people posting the Apple podcast link it's the, to this podcast? It's, it's the not influx really influx of reviews that you get in a certain okay. amount of time. So if you had like, you know, if you had a show with a hundred podcast ratings, but then it got 50, so it got, you know, half of its total in three days, that would trigger an algorithm. So it's the amount of reviews that you get, stars and reviews within a certain amount of time. But as far as anything past that, you won't find like specifics on it. So they won't tell you how many, they won't tell you how many it takes to trigger it. It's very mysterious. It really is. And you see all of these articles pop up every now and then about how people are hacking it. And sometimes you'll look at the list and you'll just be like, what are these podcasts? <laughs> like, yeah. And then you listen to them and you're like, yeah, I don't think Apple would have like purposely put these on there. And That's I know right. that Apple does have like a podcast kind of editorial team now. Apple's really been expanding their podcast job listings that mm-hmm. I've noticed. So I think it is going to get better but I think it's going to be a process because not everyone is going to listen through Apple Podcasts. You know, Overcast does pull from Apple Podcasts as far as the, their directory goes. But then you have platforms like, you know, Google Podcast Attic. Those are two that are used a ton on Android phones. You have Stitcher. You have, you know, Pandora that is doing podcasts right now, Spotify and I think Spotify is heading in the right direction because they've done a lot of podcast acquisition right now. Totally. And I think Spotify might get to it before anyone else does just because they have that experience with music. Yeah. Yeah. I think you might be right. Okay. Well, let's get into your story because I do want to tell that. And maybe at the tail end of this, we'll talk a little more on it. Um, But for anybody listening, you can clearly tell that Deanna is deep in all things podcasts. Also, yes. take a shot or do something every time we say podcast in this episode. I'm sure it's crazy. Um, but I'm really curious in this, uh, just how people get their starts, how people find their things. And hearing now where you're at and how this is your entire career, uh, as much as discovery needs to come along and all these different things, you've still made it work where you've made this a viable career. You've been doing this for a long time. You took a lot of interest in music and stories like yours, people that work hard about things that they're passionate about is something that I'm absolutely obsessed with. So I would love to hear yours. And I typically like to take that and start it right around the time of you finding your first thing. So maybe it was in school, you finding music or finding something, but kind of finding that like that spark, that hobby and like where that led to. Yeah, it's funny to take things back to when I really was showing an interest in like studio stuff and production. I was in eighth grade and then freshman year of college, they or freshman year of high school, they had us write out like a one-page thing on what we wanted to be. And I totally wanted to be a music producer at that time. But then senior year of high school, I interned at a recording studio and I helped set up sessions. I did a little bit of drum editing. I was kind of just given the edit to put in and where to put it in. So it wasn't anything, you know, fancy on my end. I wasn't really putting a ton of brain power into it. But After that experience, I was like, okay, maybe I don't want to work on the studio side of things. So I went to college at Drexel University for music industry, but I focused on the business track because even freshman year and sophomore year there, they force you to take classes from both tracks. So you're taking tech classes and business classes. And then after that, you decide which track you want to continue on. And I just wasn't a fan of being in the studio and doing that stuff as much as I thought I would be. So then when my roommate at the time, Zach Cirillo, introduced me to podcasts, I started to listen to so many tech podcasts, just, you know, like Apple, Google, stuff like that, that kind of tech. And I really became obsessed with them. And then next thing you know, I had like 60 or 70 podcasts that I was subscribed to. And it was getting really out of hand. And, you know, 
majoring in music industry might sound silly to a lot of people because I know that whenever I was on plane rides home to California, people would ask me, oh, are you majoring in engineering? Because that's kind of what Drexel was more so known for. And I was like, no, music industry. And they were like, huh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just something that people hadn't really heard of still, even, you know, 2012, 2013, when I was there. And I just ended up enjoying podcasts so much that eventually I had guested on the Modern Vinyl podcast. And after that, Chris Lantinen, who ran the website, asked me to start a music podcast. So it was like my worlds were kind of colliding in that moment because I got to talk about music on a podcast. And what I didn't know how to do was edit a podcast or do anything with the podcast. I obviously knew about recording and everything from majoring in music industry, but he asked me to start that in 2015. So I had been done with college. I was working a data entry job at a company called Music Reports, which does royalty stuff for the music industry. So I was technically still in the music industry at that point, but it was just, you know, as anyone who has done a data entry job knows, you're not really doing anything other than inputting information. So it's not like I was making waves in the music industry or anything like that. So I took on the challenge of starting the podcast and I had two co-hosts, so I had to coordinate with them. We were only recording every other week. So then I was doing solo episodes with guests Mm. on the off weeks that my co-hosts weren't doing episodes with me. So it really just snowballed from there, from the creation standpoint. I ended up doing a sports podcast during that time as well, which didn't last quite as long. I think that one lasted 33 episodes, give or take. Mm. But Misaligned itself ran over 100 episodes over a few years. So I was obviously really into it. And then I had stopped doing Misaligned but I had already started Welcome to Geekdom at that point. It was just one of those things where podcasts took over my life so much that I wasn't listening to music as much. So it's hard to do a music podcast if you aren't listening to music. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, okay. You said something there too that was a a funny little nugget where you lived with Zach Zarillo in college? Yes. (laughs) I know this is your story. It's just, it's such a funny piece because he's such a well-accomplished manager in music and has gone on to do so much starting from something as small as a blog, right? He started with Property of Zach. Um, And then was that in Philly? Is that the area you were in? Yeah. So he was from New York and we both were in the same grade majoring in music industry. So it was one of those things where I think we were just because we were both only children, mm-hmm. we didn't really want the hassle of a ton of roommates, a ton of roommates, which is something that happens quite often in college. You know, I had friends who were living with like eight other people. Oh, yeah. And I think the only children in us were just like, no, we don't want that. So it was, you know, funny because we were both really quiet and we would Facebook message each other while we were in the apartment. Funny. And it was just so ridiculous at times. And it's like, we could literally just talk through the wall pretty much if we wanted to. Yeah. But yeah, it was definitely funny that that's how that ended up happening because he's the one who introduced me to podcasts and even the app Overcast and everything like that. So, you know, it went from me wanting to be in the music industry to Zach introducing me to this thing that I didn't even know I would be remotely interested in. And it just kind of went from there and, you know, he had been doing a podcast with Jesse Cannon at the time. And so I was listening to that, but I wasn't creating podcasts at that point. So he was the one creating podcasts and now I'm the one doing a ton of podcast work and he's sort of back to the music industry side of things with management, record labels, and I lose track of what he does. <laughs> yeah, I've got a lot of respect for him. He does a lot, but that's it's cool to hear those pieces every now and then. I'll have somebody on the show and, you know, like we were already talking about how Finn McKinty is our favorite person and is this funny (laughs) piece that knows everybody. But um, every now and then there'll be those little gems where I'll be like, whoa, it's a small world. 
So it really is because I'm still so ingrained in sort of this music scene, but from a totally different perspective because he introduced me to podcasts and then at the URM Summit in November 2019, so semi-recently, that's when I actually got to meet Jesse Cannon in person and Johnny Minardi and these people who I had interacted with on the internet through knowing Zach and just knowing sort of that circle of people. And that is kind of crazy because you go to something like the URM Summit and you just don't realize how many people are going to be there that you've heard of necessarily, especially yeah. for someone like me who was, you know, who is totally a podcast geek now instead. And I was like, okay, Jesse Cannon, Johnny Minardi, you know, Mike Mowry was there, Blasco was there. And I had worked with Mike and Blasco through managing the Jabberjaw Media Network, which is something I did for about a year. So I had started my podcast, Welcome to Geekdom. I had started Chat Cemetery, which is, like I mentioned, the Stephen King podcast that I'm doing. And those are the only two podcasts of my own mm -hmm. that I have going on right now. I think twice, two a week is <laughs> more than enough for me as, yeah. you know, sort of my hobby project. That's a lot. And it's just crazy how things just come full circle because I had met Ray Harkins, who hosts 100 Words or Less, way before I even got the job managing Jabberjaw. Mm. So it is kind of weird how the music industry works because they always say it's about who you know, but just knowing people isn't necessarily going to get you a job. You know, it might get you a meeting or an interview or something like that. And so ever since I started working with Jabberjaw, that's how I ended up working with URM Academy to edit their podcast. And that's how I ended up working with Finn on the Punk Rock MBA because I spoke to Finn prior to the summit, but then him and I just sat down and talked out a few things at the summit. And he was like, you know, I just want to record and he does the graphics and then I handle pretty much the rest. He's been doing the booking at the start just because he knows so many people, like you said. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I've started doing some of the booking now, so that's something that I'm more heavily involved in than I would say the other podcasts that I'm working on right now. Mm -hmm. Well, no, that's just, it's cool. It's cool to hear all of that come together. And I just love these stories of people finding something they love and then finding the way to make it work. So back to you really kind of discovering that as you're in school, what was that moment? Like, did you have a moment where you're like, yo, you know what? This is my pivot. I'm all in on this. Or how did that look as you're like, wait a minute, I love this, but I'm studying something slightly different. It didn't even necessarily happen in college because I was still wanting to go work at a record label or something like that. And I had a friend who helped me get the interview for the job doing data entry at Music Reports. And it was a good job. You know, they paid more than minimum wage, but you were sitting there doing the same task for eight hours. And as someone who I would say kind of leans more towards the creative side, I do really like nerdy stuff like math and the business side of stuff too, but I really like creating things now. And it just wasn't quite enough for me. And I have absolutely nothing bad to say about the company at all. They were great. You know, healthcare was a thing I had when I worked there. It's a thing I don't have now that I don't work nice. there. So, I've you heard know. that's great. Yeah, yeah. Healthcare is great, people. So don't necessarily give up a job if it's also going to <laughs> force you to give up healthcare. But it's just one of those things where it wasn't necessarily one thing, but, you know, I was living in an apartment in Van Nuys that had a ton of bugs and it, I had, you know, neighbors who were like yelling in a different language at five in the morning and waking me up almost every day. Their mother would sit outside with the their wave. baby outside my window instead of their window. It was just sort of all of these things piling up. So I moved back to Orange County and even then I was still trying to get jobs in the music industry, but then while I was home, I had more time to spend on my podcasts. So I was really just diving into that and, you know, 
for people in sort of the entertainment industry, your resume on paper isn't necessarily going to matter unless you can show what you've done. So I always looked at my podcast as something that could replace my resume. It's like, hey, here's my podcast. Mm. You can literally listen to what I am capable of doing. And, you know, for podcasts, it's not necessarily the content that matters. Obviously, you have to have content that people want to listen to for a podcast to work. But people want to see if you actually know what you're doing when you're recording. And it's not just some garbled mess that you recorded into your phone speaker or something. So it was when I had the time to just focus on my podcasts as hobbies that I was like, okay, I think I can do this instead of trying to get jobs at record labels because I wasn't even getting interviews for like three years. I was applying to a ton of places and living at home with my parents, which I'm actually still doing. So the podcast thing isn't completely full-time now, but it's finally hitting that pace where I have the connections and I have the track record to know that this is something that I can make work at this point. Oh, I mean, totally, right? Like you've proven it. You're picking up clients more and more. I think that there's a differentiation of, okay, I can live in Van Nuys in a terrible apartment to prove it, or I can live more comfortably and master this craft and continue to make money. Like you're still doing it. Um, so when you when you started to really dig in, like you said originally, Zach shows you podcasts, you're listening, you don't know how to record. How did you how did you learn the skill? Like how did you learn audio editing? How did you learn the basics of finding out how to upload your audio, finding out, I mean, you know, parts of it are basic, but other parts, I think more so the audio editing and getting levels right, things like that, you didn't go to school for that, right? Right. And thankfully with Drexel forcing us to do the tech and business stuff at the beginning, I did know how to set up a microphone, plug it in, you know, get GarageBand going at that point because I hadn't invested in Logic just yet, but I always had a MacBook or something that I could use GarageBand on. So it started there. And as far as editing goes, that I really just had to figure out on my own. But I think it helped that I had already listened to so many high quality podcasts. Like one of the first podcasts I'd listened to, it wasn't the very first, like a lot of people, but Serial was such a high production value that first season. And Mm -hmm. I was listening to the talk show, Accidental Tech Podcast, a bunch of shows on Relay FM, which is a big tech podcast network. And they really understood, you know, just having these conversations, it was okay not to edit every little mistake out. And sure, if I have clients who want that, I will give that to them. If they want as many ums as possible taken out, that's fine by me. I do take a lot of them out of my own podcasts as well, just to sort of get to the end of the podcast a little faster because I don't want to waste anyone's time Mm -hmm. with my podcast. And I think Early on with Misaligned, you can tell how rough some of the podcasts were because it was me and two other co-hosts. So I didn't have, you know, complete control over the recording situation. We were relying on Skype a lot. My co-host did go out and get microphones and that helped because... Anytime you can have a microphone instead of, like you mentioned earlier, a computer microphone, even if it's just earbuds for guests who aren't going to be on more than once, Mm -hmm. that helps so much because sometimes you'll have guests who come on a podcast and they don't even wear headphones at all. Yeah. And then you get this bleed through. And so I really just had to figure that all out myself. And obviously, with Chris Lantinen being the person to ask me to do the podcast, mm-hmm. he already had the Modern Vinyl podcast going. So I did have some guidance from him on what to do. And he kind of approved the first couple of podcasts and then was like, okay, you know what? These obviously sound good enough to go out. So I'm just going to leave it to you now. And I would really only go to him after that if I needed help with some particular thing. And 
Back then, I wasn't using things like RX Elements to use voice denoise or mm. any plugins, really. I was just kind of going for it and figuring it, figuring it out as I went. And obviously now, I think there's a lot more information out there. You can Google pretty much anything. Yeah. You know, I will Google questions still about logic, and I'm just like is this a thing I can fix or is this a thing I just have to leave in or stuff like that? And I'm sometimes looking for plugins if I think maybe I don't have a plugin that can do what I'm thinking a plugin can do. Yeah. And you can definitely go down the rabbit hole with buying plugins. But thankfully, this isn't music production, so there aren't too many plugins that I need. Yeah, it's funny, right? Like podcasts, there's an amount of the honest the honesty in somebody's voice and the mistakes and just hearing that that raw vulnerable audio can make it even better it paints a better picture and then yeah. there's other things where you're like yo if i hear another sharp s my ears are going to bleed <laughs> yeah so finding that like finding the balance is really interesting what are some plugins that you absolutely love Honestly, RX Voice Denoise is the best thing that has happened to <laughs> my Logic setup in a while. And really, I even only recently just learned about, you know, mastering to minus 16 LUFS, which mm -hmm. is a term that most people will not understand, but basically it's the loudness for the podcast overall. And apparently mine were way too quiet. So if someone's phone would ring or if they're text alert would go off, it would be like so much louder because they would have to turn my podcast up. Mm. And as soon as I found that out, I felt so bad. First of all, I was like, oh my goodness, I've been doing this for well over like 200 episodes and just now found out about this because it was something that caught my attention on Twitter and in some podcast newsletters. And I had looked up my own podcast on Pod News, which is a great podcast news resource. And they measure podcasts to tell you if they're loud enough or too loud, not loud enough at all. And I was like, oh, clearly I'm not mastering these loud enough. And I was texting some other podcast friends and they were like, you know, it's fine. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. It's just one of those things where there is a standard, but it's not enforced because you can't really enforce a whole lot of podcast standards when it comes to doing this. And if some people want to use Anchor and talk into your phone, that's cool. That's not for me. Yeah. But if that's how people want to podcast, I'm for it because it is making it more accessible when you have companies like Anchor doing things like that and making it so easy. But as far as, you know, the uploading and everything, from what I can remember, Chris helped a lot with that because he was the one paying for the accounts through Modern Vinyl and everything. Yeah. So we got set up on SoundCloud initially, which I would not recommend for hosting a podcast on anymore because no. at the time there weren't all of these podcast host companies. There was Libsyn and maybe a couple others, but so many more have popped up now mm -hmm. that you have a ton of options for roughly the same price as SoundCloud, if not cheaper than SoundCloud. Yeah. Let's talk for a second about Anchor because I think what they're doing for the entire industry is brilliant, right? Like the fact, granted the audio quality, I've tested it, is terrible when you record from your phone. But the idea that podcasts are getting this accessible for everyone, I think does nothing but great things for the entire industry, right? Because more and more people get excited to have conversations. More and more people start their own. They try it out. They realize, oh, cool, this is the starting point. Now I can dig deeper. And I think that will lead to more and more discovery, everything from there, snowball effect. Um, and I know that you've been doing this for some time now. You said 2014 or 15 is when you really started? 2015 is when Chris approached me about actually starting my own podcast. I had been listening for a couple years before that and started getting interested. But yeah, Modern Vinyl is really what helped launch my madness into wanting to create a bunch of podcasts. Yeah. So what do you think now? Like Now that you've seen five years of this evolution... What are your thoughts on that? Like as far as it being so accessible now, where do you think that goes? 
I think it's great because you always will have those people who want the high production value. And then you have some people who just want to listen to people like you and I talk to our friends about things we enjoy. And they're not necessarily going to be the most successful podcasts in the world, but you have people who just want to have these conversations and connect with people. And regardless of listeners, Anchor is making that free. Mm -hmm. So that's hard to pass up because I have people who will ask me some questions about starting a podcast and they ask me if they should use Anchor or something else. And while I am very much into the idea of paying for podcast hosting because I think it's going to be easier for the, those companies to sustain the amount of podcasts that they're hosting and support-wise, too. I just think when you have a paid service, you're more likely to get stuff done a little faster and have more support behind you. But from what I've seen with people using Anchor, a lot of them love how easy it is. And it's one of those things where I think the entertainment industry has always felt very blocked off from the rest of the world, and it's so hard to make it in the entertainment world. But when you add podcasts into the mix, it's open to anyone. You don't have to audition. You don't have to submit a tape or submit this film you edited in college just to get a job. You can just have fun with it and Sure, then you come to the point where maybe you want to monetize, and that's a whole different conversation, really. I could probably yeah. do like just a whole hour on monetizing your podcast, when you should do it, how that is sort of handled, because there are, like I said, certain standards. You don't necessarily have to follow them, but I think a lot of the standards come more so with advertising mm-hmm. on podcasts than actually creating a podcast. You can create a podcast that is you getting drunk, talking to your friends. You can create a podcast like yours where you are getting to learn about people's stories, how they started doing what they're doing. You could have a podcast like the URM podcast where they are using it as a business tool. They're talking to producers, mixers, engineers, and then maybe down the line, they'll get involved with URM from a business aspect with Nail the Mix or something like that. So there are so many different ways you can use podcasts and they don't all have to make money. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about advertising though, because I think, you know, to me, working a lot in music, I wish artists were doing podcasts more. I wish that artists would just take the time to record and tell stories of their bands and talk to their friends because what they don't realize is everybody has access to different stories and perspectives and people that don't necessarily have that access find it very interesting if they like that subject. And I, as much as every podcast pretty much starts off not making money, I do think that if you do a good enough job, there are opportunities to turn that into some kind of revenue. So like, at what point should a podcast start advertising and what's that look like? It's going to depend on the size of companies you're looking for and really the number of downloads is how a lot of advertising revenue is measured. So you in the podcast industry you have what's called a you have what's called CPM, which is cost per thousand essentially. So cost per thousand downloads, which you can have a CPM ranging from fifteen dollars to fifty dollars, for instance, and you'll have bigger podcasts getting those higher value CPMs. So the Ringer alone made $15 million off of podcast advertising (laughs) last year. And it's because they have such a big network. Bill Simmons has a show that gets thousands and thousands and thousands of downloads each episode. And Honestly, for a lot of indie podcasters, that's not something you can expect. Bill Simmons has been a big name in the sports world for at least a decade. You know, he's worked on building an audience through ESPN, through Grantland, and now through The Ringer, and he's just pivoted, really. That's what he did. He started a podcast before they were super popular with ESPN, and he carried it over to The Ringer where he was able to 
monetize it how he wanted because he owns the, well, he doesn't own the ringer now that Spotify bought them, but, you know, at the time of starting the company, he owned them. So if you're a podcast that only has a few hundred downloads, maybe you get together with local businesses. If a lot of your listeners are local to your area, maybe you offer them, you know, an ad spot for Five or ten dollars, sure, it's not a lot of money, but you don't want to overcharge if you know you don't have thousands of listeners because that CPM is based on every thousand. Yeah. So if you don't have a thousand yet, it's not to say you can't get advertising. You'll probably just have to go about it a slightly different way. Yeah. Well, I also think there's other opportunities too, right? Like continuing on my my uh, theoretical band podcast, I guess like the main, they do a good job of it. Um, yeah. I don't keep up with it, but the ones that I've listened to, I'm really impressed and they're very enjoyable. But like, I think that there's other value outside of just getting paid from a sponsor, right? Like yeah. if you're an artist and you were starting a podcast or, you know, doing like what the main did, you can also promote your tour dates. You can promote yes. if you guys have a Patreon, like you can make, you can promote it or you can make a podcast special access to it. It's just, it's so much value when you hit a stride. And I yeah. think people always appreciate value and it doesn't have to be a dollars and cents thing out the rip. But if you right. get into a swing of truly loving it, and providing something interesting and valuable, that will pay off, uh, at least in my opinion, in ways that maybe aren't just a certain CPM dollar amount from a corporate company. Yeah. So to continue with your theoretical band podcast here, that's really like a branded podcast. Yeah. So you have companies like Twitter who are creating branded podcasts to promote their own products and services and things like that. And that's something I think, like you said, a lot of bands could benefit from because if you don't want to monetize through advertising, if a band is putting out a podcast, promoting their merchandise, promoting their tour dates, even if you know one episode sells two extra tickets for you, that's money in your pocket down the line, even though you won't see that return quite as soon as you would if you had you know, advertising built into your show, like you're reading an ad for a company or another band, but it's something that can be used as a business tool similar to how URM is doing it. And, you know, URM promotes their own stuff during the mid-roll. You know, they aren't running ads on the podcast, really, and they're just out there promoting Nailed Mix, their other services, and... That's something that is going to get people signing up for those things because they're listening to these producers, engineers, and mixers talk about their work and inspiring other people to want to do the same thing. So with bands, they could easily do a behind-the-scenes thing. And I know some bands have done this where they've basically done a podcast while they're making their record. And they catalog what they're doing. And it's just such a smart idea. I'm totally with you on the fact that more bands should do this. They should hire us to work with them on it. (laughs) Yo, that's what's up. Yeah. I I really do think that, uh, it's just, I I'm so glad that you took the time to tell me your story. And it's so interesting to hear your story because it's just this genuine, you know, passion that you found where it's like, wait, this is amazing. And then you dug deep and you found your favorites and you listened and listened and kind of found a standard that audio quality and production should be at and you matched it. And now you do your own, which you're super passionate about and it's your own rules, but you're also able to now edit for any other creator because the fact of the matter is certain people have these great stories or these great friends to talk to and they don't want to take the time to learn how to edit on Logic or any other DAW and figure out all these things and figure out mid-roll ads and this is and that's. And that's okay too, because there's people like yourself that are extremely passionate about just that. And some people just don't have the time to edit their podcast. You know, everyone who works at URM is probably capable of editing a podcast. They just don't have the time to because they have a business to run. And with Finn, his day job is working at URM 
And then he put so much time into the punk rock MBA videos that he was like, you know, I record these, I edit them myself. I don't really trust someone else to edit them basically because he edits a certain way and he's been experimenting with a lot of stuff on the YouTube channel. So he was like, I want to do the podcast, but I just want to record. (laughs) That's pretty much it. So then he was like, "You, I will send it to you. You just do your thing. You publish it. You do everything. He's like, you get producer credit. I was like, I don't care about the producer credit really. It's just, you know, this is something I wanted to work with him on. And you can tell that he's super passionate about a lot of the things that he discusses through the YouTube channel and now through the podcast because he gets to look at it from more of a business perspective with the podcast and how people make a living doing what they love, which, you know, that's what we've kind of been talking about the entire time, even though I'm not necessarily making a full-time living out of it. It's getting there. And I think people shouldn't be afraid to just dive into what they love because I really loved music and it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to. You know, I don't have that job at a record label. I am not, you know, going out, finding bands, doing marketing for bands, but I still somehow ended up in the music industry in a sense because all of the podcasts I'm working on more frequently right now are music podcasts. I do have one wrestling podcast that I'm editing called Squared Circle Pit for Rob Paspani at Metal Injection, but I know nothing about wrestling. So if there are just, you know, good people out there who want to work on podcasts, I am open to working on podcasts on any topic. It just so happens that I've worked with Jabberjaw Media, which is all music-based podcasts, and then URM and Finn. So it's sort of one of those things where things just came full circle in a totally different way than I expected. Yeah. And I mean, who knows as it continues to evolve, I think podcasts are only going to continue to grow. So labels and bands and more people, I would assume will start more and more. And, you know, who knows, maybe you're producing one for a label in the next couple of years. Like you never know, but I really think it's cool that you followed your passion in this. I think it's really admirable and I love seeing it pay off. Yeah, well, thank you so much for letting me come on and ramble about podcasts for almost an hour here. <laughs> I mean, it's, give me an excuse to talk podcasts and I'll do it. So this was this was a real treat for me. How does everybody find you? How do they listen to your podcast? How do they find you on socials? If they do want to start their own and don't want to edit it, how do they hire you? Give me the rundown. I will just give you the easy answer and tell people to go to my website, deannachapman.com because you can find the podcast that I'm working on. You can find links to my socials there. I have a contact form if you want to get in touch with me. I do consultations over Skype for podcasts if you aren't really sure where you want to go or you just need help figuring certain things out like advertising. I am pretty flexible with my schedule. So, you know, editing podcasts is kind of great because as long as I hit my deadlines, nobody cares when I edit, what time Mm -hmm. of day I edit or anything like that. And that's just, you know, a good central place to find me. Well, that's awesome. That makes it very, very easy. Respect for streamlining that. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for doing this. I really had a blast and I learned a lot. So I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, anytime. I am always down to talk about podcasts, clearly. (laughs) Love it. All right, until next time.